Welcome to The Future Belongs to Creators. I'm your host, Barrett Brooks. I'm the COO at ConvertKit. My co-host is our CEO, Nathan Barry. We're on a mission to help creators earn a living, and this is a show about turning anxious energy into creative output during times of uncertainty. We're back. It's episode 29 of The Future Belongs to Creators. I'm Barrett Brooks. That's Nathan Barry, or whichever way he is. And it is casual Q&A Friday, but I don't have my hat on because I have to interview a person who wants to come to work here later. And a hat felt a little overly informal. I don't know. On Friday? We both have the hoodies going, though. So I know. We're, we're like stereotypical right now. Anyways, I'm very excited to get questions from live listeners um, today. I always love having the interaction on Fridays. It makes it fun. Uh, we've got a list of a few questions that we can start with, but hopefully everyone here will have uh, stuff they're wondering, what's struggling with, hoping for whatever in their business that they'll ask us about. Um, before we get into that, Nathan, how exactly are you doing today? <laughs> I'm good. Uh, I'd say I'm green today. Just got a lot of good work done this morning. We're prepping for our board meeting, as I think I mentioned on, I don't know, we talked about Wednesday. And uh, we just leadership team pulled together. We got that totally knocked out. Not, it's not done. Nothing is ever quite done, but uh, we're getting close and it's in good shape. And uh, that's pretty encouraging. And then uh, I've got some friends coming over at five uh, for a socially distant happy hour. Haven't seen them in, you know, a very long time. Actually, I did a driveway happy hour with them like four weeks ago. So you know, that's actually fairly recent for seeing friends at this point. Um, so I'm excited to do that though. I was realizing that I'm out of cider and I'm not going to go to the store. So guess we're drinking beer. Fun fact. Uh, many of the local cideries and breweries here in, uh, Portland have been delivering. And so I did a, nice. I did a Q and a yesterday for the Portland startup community and the reward was a six pack of cider from Reverend Nat's cider here locally. They dropped it off for me, but I couldn't actually take anything free. I, I just can't do it right now. And so I actually ordered two six packs of cider and paid them. I just couldn't bring myself to do it. You know, it's like clearly they're marketing because they need the business. And so I'd rather just pay them. Yeah. So shout that out to Reverend sense. Nats. Uh, if you're here in Portland, <laughs> this, <laughs> is not, this is not a sponsored <laughs> post. <laughs> I'm green today. I have been a little bit goofy all day. We had a little bit of a review of our, our board prep materials with our leadership team. And I sang each person a welcome song as they joined the, uh, a welcome jingle, if you will, as you all would be familiar with as they joined the call. I don't think they enjoyed that, but I did. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I joined, I was like joined third or fourth. So I only had to hear three of them. And I, so I still enjoyed it. I got the feeling that uh, those who had heard all of them were pretty tired of it. I can see how that would be true. Oh, oh man, do you want to go ahead and just sing for every live listener that comes on? Maybe just no. no I, I I apologize. I should not have planted that. Seed. Hello That's a to Keshna and Noah and Neil and Sean and Emily. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, let's dive into some questions. <laughs> so uh, for the live crew, definitely drop your questions in. Let me pull up the list of ones that we've compiled. <laughs> okay. Here's one. That uh, we actually, I guess we get this question every time we talk about a board meeting. <laughs> Why does ConvertKit have a board? 
It's you a, want to answer that? It's a good question. Yeah. Um, I have been COO for about two years now. And when we decided to move me into that role, we also decided to kind of like create an overall structure for, you know, I guess future leadership of the company. And that included a board. We felt like, well, number one, we're independent. We don't have any investors, you know, we're profitable. We've been around seven years now. Um, we don't need a board. Like we don't owe a board anything basically. And uh, normally a board is there for governance and there to oversee the interests of shareholders when a company is not privately held by the people who work there. And so um, the board for us is an opportunity to get great mentorship um, and to have some wise people in the room who are external to the company and come together twice a year. And we say we kind of have three goals with that. Hold us accountable to our goals. Uh, I'm going to forget the second one. And the, the way we phrase the last one, this is how we actually phrase it. I'm not, I'm, this is not me cussing. This is just what it says on the page is to call <laughs> us out on our bullshit. Um, you know, we, it's a little crass, but we phrase it that way because it's really easy as, or it could be easy to let your ego get the best of you or to become misguided and the goals that you're setting or to make excuses for why you're not pursuing um, what you actually care about. And so, you know, that's really what that means is that we just want those mentors there to help guide us and make sure that we stay on track um, and in alignment with our long-term vision for the company. Yep. And I, I think that's an interesting idea because and I encourage more creators to do that. Let's say that uh, you're an indie musician. You you don't have a board. You don't need a board. Why would you ever do that? That's crazy. But if you think about it, you could ha you could adopt those principles in the same way and say, okay, who is in my corner looking out for my best interest is not going to put up with my excuses as to why this hasn't happened or that's going to happen and is going to just hold me accountable to the things that I said I was going to do. And whatever position you're in, um, you could do that. You know, and so it's basically getting trusted, you know, people from the industry, um, friends, someone like that, who's really just going to keep giving you encouragement and, you know, accountability really. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. This next one, uh, this is a version of a question that I hear decently often, and it's usually centered on an earning goal. And we, I think, well, I don't know if you have, I know I've seen it kind of across the web where people will have a credit card they want to pay off or a trip they want to take or private school they want to pay for for their kids or some concrete goal that has a number attached, right? Maybe they already have a good budget set up for their their day job and they're not a full-time creator yet. And so they think, well, what if I could come up with a side project that would allow me to earn X number of dollars over some period of time? So the way I framed it was, if I wanted to earn $10,000 in the next six months, how would we go about that? And I thought that could just be kind of an interesting little discussion that gets at the heart of a lot of the questions that we get on this. $10,000 in six months. It's all about, I mean, this is hard, right? Because it's all about current circumstances. But I guess the first thing is that it's totally, it's totally possible. And there's a bunch of ways that you could do it. I think if that was purely what I was optimizing for, and let's say I'm a respected professional. If we're in that camp, I have a skill that's marketable. I'm an engineer. I'm a sketch note artist. Um, I'm a designer. Uh, I'm good at marketing, any of those things. I'd probably focus on coaching. Mm. Like, right, if that's the only thing that I'm optimizing for, I need that 10 grand 
I don't know, maybe it's something very altruistic. I need to, to pay off a family member's medical bills or something like that. And this is not a long-term thing that I'm going for. I just need 10 grand on the side. Then I think I would, uh, we got a winky face from Emily in the chat. That's right. Yes, Emily, I was thinking of you. Um, you know, I would do something in that way of, of I would do coaching to try to help people uh, build their career, build their skills in a way that I've done it. And so it might be, um, Hey, I'm going to do X number of sessions at 250 or 500 or a thousand dollars a piece, you know, cause if you think about, okay, if there's a format where I could work with, you know, 10 clients at a thousand dollars a piece over a period of time, then I think that's going to be one of the shortest ways. Uh, I think a lot of other ways are going to be much longer, but might have more of a flywheel going with them. If like showing up in person with people, isn't uh, what you want to do all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think a lot about um, about audience size as a major factor here. Do you have an existing audience already or would you be kind of starting from scratch there? And I'd look at kind of breakpoints and audience sizes. Let's call it maybe 500 subscriber. E- we always talk in email subscribers. That's just kind of like the default currency that we talk in. Uh, 500 subscribers, maybe like 2,500 10,000 and then like a hundred thousand would be maybe tiers that I would think in. Uh, if I had zero, I'd look at services. I'd sell some kind of service. I'd offer it to people who already know and trust me. And I'd ask for referrals from them. Um, I've got an article on my site about how I sold a $5,000 consulting project to cover a bill. Uh, it's from way back in the day. So I don't know if it's any good, but people still (laughs) read it and tweet about it. So maybe it's still good. Um, If I had 500 subscribers, I think that opens you up to more of kind of like a group coaching type opportunity or maybe a product that you can make and sell. It might be hard to make $10,000 from 500 subscribers, but if they're highly engaged, they know why they're there in your audience and you have deep expertise in your topic. Um, I think that could be viable. You could make a course and maybe it's $250 sales point or something like that. And if, uh, I don't know. What would you need? How many people would you need to buy? That's quick math. I'd help you out, but I can't do the math. So you need head. 40 people to buy, which would be less than 10% of your 500 person audience, a $250 course. And so I, you know, that's doable. I think that's reasonable maybe, um, if they're highly engaged. And then when you start getting up into 2,500 or 10,000, now you've really got the opportunity. Um, you can kind of think of it like your price point doesn't have to be as high as long as your conversion rate stays similar at that number right. of people. And in a time like this, so I want to translate it to a time like right now as well, I think lower price point items are going to do better. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that I would go out and launch a $1,000 course right now. I might launch a $99 course, and it might be the same material as what I might normally sell for a 1000 bucks. But I think there's a much better narrative you can share around helping people out, learning a skill of some kind at an affordable price at the moment. The exception there would be if your audience is made up of people who are fine right now, like they're making more Mm -hmm. money or they're looking to accelerate during all of this, that might actually be a chance to charge normal or high prices to really have a a big impact on a smaller group of people. And then if you had 100,000 people, I don't think you'd be asking this question, but um, (laughs) I would just write like a a 19 or $29 book, you know, on a topic that I've been curious Mm -hmm. about for a while. And, uh, and I'd put that out there. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, what you're talking about with pricing in, in the current time made me think that obviously different people are 
affected in very different ways in the current environment. Some people are like, I'm stuck at home and it's kind of annoying, but that's it. And other people are seeing their whole livelihood disrupted or their businesses going away. And so there's this massive difference in the level of impact. And one thing that can help with that is you can sell products at different price points. So do multiple packages for your product. That's something that I agree with your advice on decreasing the pricing overall. And I think that's going to make a big, make a big difference and just be more relevant for the economy as we go into a recession. Just like housing prices have gone up considerably over the last 10 years, I think course prices have gone up following basically the same trajectory of starting at, you know, a hundred or two hundred dollars used to be, you know, an expensive course and and now you're into the two thousand dollars and range and that kind of thing. So expect them to come down a bit. But you can sell multiple packages where mm-hmm. you could say, here's the course for a hundred dollars, or here's the guide for twenty dollars, and then here's the the high end or the more detailed course for $50 mm-hmm. or here's the full course for a hundred. And, and then the version with interviews and a coaching call for 250 or 500. And you'll have some people who want that extra time and they want, and they have the money and, and they have the additional upside from what they learned from it. So, right. Yeah. I think that's good. An example of this is that, um, my wife, Nicole is, she's a writer as well. I think she would identify as writer as her like creator archetype she's taking a writing course right now with a journalist based out of New York city. That's had a long running group writing course. That's they meet live every week for six weeks. It's normally an $850 course or I don't know, maybe you could kind of call it like group coaching. Um, but it's Mm -hmm. a traditional kind of teaching environment basically. And, uh, she did pay what you want. And so she's still anchored at the price, but then said right now, I want people to have access to this. If you're really excited or enthusiastic about it, you decide what you can afford this for. And so for her, it keeps her in her teaching cadence. It allows people access. And then for the people that still have resources, you know, maybe they take advantage of it. But I think a lot of people will probably actually pay what they're able in that kind of situation. Yeah. Noah, who's live with us, said, I'm thinking of selling something on my site. Should I start by selling products or services? And uh, that's a lot, you know, a lot of what we talked about. And he asked the question before we went off on on all of this. But it just, it really depends on where you're at of what you're doing. You can start with, you just linked to the ladders of wealth creation. Um, and that's good because basically services are the easier place to start. And then you can move up from there. And it's, you know, the way you were talking about that, that course being more of a traditional course, right. Of you're learning live with people. There are these lessons you could totally do that. And that could be the way that you launch a course to begin with. You could say, I'm going to launch a course tomorrow on this thing that I'm an expert on because I'm going to teach the classes live. I don't have to sit, get a studio set up, wait for my uh, video equipment to arrive, you know, and, and write scripts and all of that. that. I could teach three times a week for six weeks and we could have discussion and we could, huh, starting to sound like, <laughs> like a class. And then from there, as I refine the content and get good questions from the, uh, from the students, and maybe there's, maybe there's six students to start or there's eight, right? And I could really invest in them, get examples and then get quotes from them. And then start to package that into like a course that doesn't require me to show up uh, every time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep, I love that. Cool. Let's see what do we, what else do we have here. All right. Let's say you were you started as a blogger, or maybe you're you're more of an offline creator. You make furniture, music, or art, and you're trying to decide where to start online or where to go next. 
really you're making a choice between podcast and a YouTube channel because those are two of the fastest growing media outlets right now in terms of audience sizes. What would you be thinking about, Nathan, if you were choosing between a podcast or a YouTube channel? And and is that a, a choice you have to make? Right. Well, the first thing I would think about is how visual is the thing that I'm making, right? If I'm If I'm building custom furniture, I'm for sure going YouTube channel because I want to be able to show you these things. I, you know, I want to do other stuff. Now to your last point, you can throw in a podcast there. There's some great, you know, uh, woodworking podcasts that like, they're not showing you tools. They're not doing anything. It's a little, it's more personality driven. They're talking about their projects. They're talking about tools that they use. It's better for, you know, in the car back when we used to get in cars. Um, <laughs> I still think about that. Like, I don't know. My car just sits there. I, I use it once a week now, maybe. Um, so, right, I'm going to start on the video side uh, in that way when it's much more visual. But if I'm a creator who's working on something that's storytelling or that I'm trying to think beyond storytelling, storytelling, journalism, um, entertainment, comedy, you know, there's a lot of these things where maybe the video doesn't add that much. Like even if you take great, uh, comedians like Trevor Noah from the daily show, right? His visual comedy, you watch him act it out and it's so funny, but you listen to his audiobook and it is just as funny, you know? And so that's where I think that a podcast would work just fine because you don't, you know, you're not required to have the visual side. So that's kind of the first thing that I would do. The second thing that I would ask is like, what's my skill set? Where do I naturally spend time? If I'm like, Oh, check out this podcast, you know, check out this other thing and then I don't spend much time on YouTube, then I like, don't go start a YouTube channel. That's not where your passion is. So um, those are the things. What would you add to that? I think those are all good. I don't think you can go wrong. I'd say just choose would be my first piece of advice. It's more important that you choose and get going than that you worry about the choice um, to begin with. Um, I personally would choose a podcast just because that's what I like and that's where I spend more of my time. Mm -hmm. But if you were starting right now in either case, there are so many people, so many people looking for content. And so the YouTube audiences are up, podcast listeners are up, and it's it's just a good time to create. I like audio. It's an, it's funny thinking about our own advice. Like, so what does the visual of this podcast add to the... <laughs> well, if there weren't video of this podcast, you wouldn't have seen the Zoom bomber the other day. So we got that going for us. That's right. Um But I I think um, this is an interesting kind of crossover between it where we've got both situations going on. We've got the YouTube live stream and we've got the podcast that comes out on audio. And I think the reason we do the video is because it gives us the live stream. It allows Mm -hmm. me and you to talk. It allows people to tune in and chat with us. As Emily says, I get to dance on the screen to start every show. And then also we, we do use screen sharing a, uh, a fair amount here and there to give advice or to share how to do something. And so right. we get some benefits well, along the way. So one other thing with that, because it goes into what are your current circumstances, um, ConvertKit did not already have a podcast or we did a long time ago, but you know, not an established one now. Um, but we do have a YouTube channel and we had a somewhat neglected YouTube channel where we put a lot of great content on it, but it was like putting all the conference talks. You had this amazing, these amazing talks from James Clear and Seth Godin and they would get tons of views, but like the, the channel itself had no organization. There you know, wasn't much going on. And so showing up every day on our YouTube channel gave us an ability and, a, and a, an excuse to really clean that up and, 
you know, have great thumbnails for everything and, and really make that a cohesive home where there's already, you know, it's not a giant channel, but we've got 10,000 subscribers or so. And so we're able to say, okay, here's where we can launch to an audience. And then we can also have the podcast audience. And so we get both for free. And that's why we, we went YouTube and like kind of YouTube first, but then the, you know, the audio podcast as well. Yeah. Love it. All right. Keshna and Sean asked questions. Keshna said, do your employees all have a side hustle or project that you encourage them to work on? The short answer, well, do they all know, but that's by their choice. It might be the majority though. I think it's probably less than the majority. I bet it's 20 out of 50. Okay. Somewhere in there. Um, and they're, they're wide ranging. I mean, there's one that's like, um, stock price information. There's one that's house plants. There's one that's like, um, vulnerable, deep conversations, um, mm-hmm. storytelling driven writing. There's all kinds of stuff, uh, that our, our team does. And we definitely encourage it. I mean, it's like one of the core things that's in our employee handbook. We think that the team being creators themselves is a huge benefit to our customers, to the way that we approach our work, to the company as a whole, and I, we just don't have the same kind of concerns that I've heard from other founders and, uh, and entrepreneurs where they limit their teams because they're worried they won't do their work. We, the guidance we give is basically if your side project is taking up so much of your time that it affects your ability to achieve your goals at work, then maybe we should have a conversation. Are you actually trying to transition to full time? Do you just need to scale it back? You know, like what's the goal? And honestly, like we'd be willing to help someone transition if that was what they wanted to For do. Sure. But we just try and take a really balanced, open approach to the whole thing so that no one has to worry about whether they have to tiptoe around. We There's like a channel in our Slack um, team where people talk openly about their side hustles, including you and me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one other benefit that I really like about it and uh, we've for sure encouraged is getting people to have side hustles that involve building an audience. Because if you build an audience... You're probably, well, you're either doing it with ConvertKit, which is great because it's giving us, you know, it's giving you the experience to use the product as a customer, not as a pretend customer. Anyone who's built software before knows what I'm talking about, where you're like, yeah, I click through all the screens. It totally works. What what do you mean? And then the difference between you step in and actually try to accomplish something with it. And you're like, Ooh, how is that still there? How like, okay, that's painful. And so it, it forces us all to be in the tool using it as a customer. Um, and that's really good. But then on the other side, if you don't use ConvertKit for your side hustle and you build an audience through another platform, that gets us out into the creator ecosystem and say, hey, actually, this is working really well on Instagram or I'm actually I've built a big following on LinkedIn, republishing all my content. And so that gets us like out of our own little world of saying like email is the only way or whatever we might be inclined to think. Mm-hmm. And and it brings in new perspectives. Yeah, totally. Love that. Um, let's see. Sean's question is, what's the best way to send an online poll out to my email newsletter subscribers? Do you recommend an easy to use service for this? Okay. So I think it depends on the scale of the poll. If I have a bunch of questions that I'm sending, then I'd use Typeform. It's, it's great. They've got a free plan. It looks nice and clean. You can jump into it easily. If you want to remove branding or add some more advanced features, the pricing is not too expensive. Um, so I would start there, you know, just emailing out a link to the type form, explaining why you want people to do it, maybe incentivizing them in some way. Hey, I'll give you this free guide to everyone who completes it, whatever you want, or just ask for the favor. Hey, it would mean a lot to me if you would fill this out. If it's just uh, a single question, then I would send it out in an email where you 
you have a series of links and, you know, so a bulleted list and, and you have to ask multiple choice questions, right? Cause there's no free form text fields and email for like an official poll in that way. And, and I would just say, you know, what best describes you A, B, C, or D. And each one of the multiple choice options is a link that you click. And then I just have it go to a page that says, Hey, thanks so much for responding. I appreciate it. Uh, and that's kind of the informal poll. The nice thing is you can tag and segment those people in your account later. Uh, and then the last thing I would say is if you do want qualitative information, then just ask, just say, here's the question. Cause the freeform text box is actually there. It's the reply box. And you just say, Hey, I was wondering about this. You know, can you tell me a story of something like this or whatever your question is, your biggest frustration learning this topic, hit reply and let me know. And uh, you'll get great replies. Yeah. A couple of things to think about here, just to, as additions to the, like doing it with ConvertKit or your email tool is you could build a landing page that is designed as the survey and you could include multiple choice questions or custom field questions that allow someone to enter text that then gets stored in their subscriber profile if you wanted to. Um, yep. The other thing you could do instead of um, sometimes tagging has the issue that if people click on multiple answers, they end up with multiple tags. For some questions, that's okay. Like, uh, which of these are your interests? Well, people can have multiple interests, and so tagging can be good. But if you want, uh, if you have a multiple choice question that should have just one answer stored, a custom field can actually be better. And so storing that as custom field data and a custom field is basically just a text field that gets stored in a subscriber's profile. And you can automate when a person clicks on a link, fill that custom field in as this value. And so that gives you uh, mutually exclusive data. So if you wanted to know, are you an entrepreneur or an employee or a student or something else? And there can only be one that you want them to be labeled as. Well, if they click entrepreneur first, it'll get labeled as entrepreneur in the custom field. And then if they click student second, then it'll label them as student and not entrepreneur. Right. Um, and sometimes that can be really useful. So again, I think Nathan's point is salient, which is it depends on how many questions you're asking. And if it's just a couple, it can be really nice to just immediately store that data by using those link triggers inside of your tool. For sure. Well, Barrett, I think that takes us to time. Wow. I think, uh, I think we have an ability to talk. I think what that says. That's true. So speaking of time, Barrett, what time is it? It is creator of the day. Oh man, the transitions, the transitions. Okay. My creator of the day is Cortland Allen. Uh, here, I'll screen share. He created this site called Indie Hackers. It's this great way people, a lot of more technical focused uh, founders are you know building independent projects uh, going from there. Uh, it's a fantastic community. Uh, he builds it along with his brother. You can check it out at IndieHackers.com. They actually got bought by Stripe, um, not because they're part of like Stripe's massive plan for world domination or something, but because it's like, this is an incredible community. How can we just support it and, and make it grow from there? And uh, side note, if you go on to, uh, it's probably quite a ways back at this point, but we have a bunch of unsplashed photos and one of our most popular ones from a story that we did on Cortland is it's the photos of Cortland. And so he's now very famous on, <laughs> on Splash. So thanks to Cortland for uh, being awesome, having a great podcast and community and for sharing his photos for all the other creators out there who want to use uh, royalty, royalty free photos. 
Love it. My creator of the day is, um, before I share my screen, that photo up there is of a um, small, I think, brook trout maybe in a hand on a fly fishing line. It comes from an artist named Charles Heath, who is based out of, or has a gallery based out of uh, Brayson City, North Carolina, which is a little town um, in the North Carolina mountains where my parents have a small cabin. Uh, well, it's not that small. I mean, it's just a normal cabin uh, that are, that's in our family. Um, and he does beautiful photography and art of the local national parks and outdoor areas. Um, these are some of his uh, large pieces framed on canvas. If you love art and you want stuff for your walls and you love naturescapes and things like that, which I do, I can't help myself. I know like, you know, classically trained artists will scoff at it or whatever, but I just like the natural world hanging up around my house. So he's a great artist. He uses Square for his website. Um, so if you just search the Charles Heath Gallery on Google, you'll find him. Sounds good. Uh, my resource of the day is a simple one. It's free. It's just this full page screen capture uh, plugin for Chrome. It basically, if you do that, you click this little thing. Well, I don't know why it's doing this. Welcome. That didn't work. Whatever. It totally works normally. And uh, it shows this nice little Pac-Man animation as it takes all the screenshots of the whole, whole page, stitches it together and gives it to you in one image. I've seen, I keep seeing people like take a screenshot and then be like, and here's the second screenshot and the third one. And it's like, okay, let me introduce you to this plugin. It will make your life easier. And there's versions for every other uh, browser. So if you ever find yourself in that scenario, uh, just in, install an extension. Yes, I love taking full screen screenshots. So much easier than like one at a time. Um, my resource of the day is, I don't know if it's a resource so much as it is kind of like a tip. Before music streaming was really a thing, and after Napster was an acceptable, Napster and LimeWire were acceptable <laughs> forms of music acquisition. I had a, a massive library of music in Apple Music. At the time, it was just, you know, Apple's iTunes library. And so I ended up using Apple Music because that's where all of my purchased music was as well. Well, over the years, I, a lot of downloads have added up. A lot of purchases have added up that I don't really want anymore or that I don't actually like. Cause a lot of times I would buy or download music that I just wanted to try and see if I would like it. And I learned that in iTunes uh, or Apple music, I guess is the app now that they've separated everything out. Um, Oh Lord, I don't know if I want to share my actual library. So don't, <laughs> ju don't judge me for my songs. Anyways, there is a column in Apple music for number of plays. And you may have to turn that column on, but if you sort by that, then you can find all of the songs you've never actually listened to in your library and then systematically go through and sort and delete them if you don't want them anymore. And so then when you turn your uh, iPhone on shuffle, it's just music you want to listen to. I thought that was a really good way to cut down my music library. So anyways, I wanted you to know about it. I like it. That's good. Well, as we wrap up, Barrett, do you have a thought of the day or should I do a thought of the day? You should what do a thought it? of the day. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we have this line in our sheet and it, usually we fill it in with who's going to do it. We didn't in this case. Um, okay. A thought of the day. You know, I guess what's been on my mind lately is always being in a hurry, like running from one thing to the next and the things in your life that you do that kind of say like, I have time. I have all the time in the world. One thing for me, like, and so I was taking 
a bath instead of a shower. And she's doing it because I messed up the shower head. And so it doesn't have as much water pressure. But she's now gotten in that habit of basically saying like, I have time. I'm going to take a bath and it's more enjoyable. Like my version of it yesterday was um, just going on a walk of like even a five or a 10 minute walk. It wasn't focused on anybody else. I just picked up my three month old son and we went on a, you know, 10 minute walk. And so just finding those things that say, I have all the time. This is okay. Uh, Cause otherwise I fall into the habit of where I'm the person who's working 10 hours a day and has no time for a workout, you know, for even 10 minutes. So I would just try to find those things where you say, I've got time. I'm going to make a little bit of time for something where I'm not accomplishing anything. And uh, I'm going to fit that in with the rest of the rest of my day. Love it. All right, y'all have a great weekend. We will see you back here on Monday. Thanks for listening to The Future Belongs to Creators. We're the makers of ConvertKit, where we're on a mission to help creators earn a living by building software that helps you build an audience of loyal fans. ConvertKit is the best way to launch or grow your next creative project. To start building your audience with a landing page and to send emails up to 500 subscribers for free, go to landingpage.new. That's landingpage.new to get started with the free ConvertKit account today. We'll see you next time. Thank you.